This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. It's so good to be with you. How many of y'all are excited that it's a little bit cooler? All right, some of you. I am. I'm fat. And uh, I get sweaty when it's hot, so I'm super thankful that it's a little cooler today. And I'm excited for this next season. Next week, we kick off a new series. It's called Playlist. And if you haven't been around for it, what we'll do is we'll actually show um, some uh, videos. And we, we kind of do it in... Some of, we date ourselves a little bit with this VH1 pop-up video style, okay? So some of y'all, some of y'all don't understand what VH1 and MTV actually one time they played music videos a long time ago. That's what they were originally started to do. And so um, we do that. We have fun and we pick out a song every week and it kind of ties to a book of the Bible. We went through last year about half of the minor prophets, so we're going to tackle the other half of them in this series. Can't wait to do that. Before we get started, I just want to make a few comments. Uh, just in prayer this morning, felt like I needed to remind us as a church of. And one is that this space, this is to build you up, not beat you down. Some of us grew up in church experiences where we, we came into church and man, we felt like we left having like, you know, gotten kicked in the groin. I mean, it was not fun. We just felt beat down and beat down and reminded of all the things that we're doing that are just blowing it. And I, I just need you to hear me. That's not what we're here for. From the very beginning, one of the phrases that we use, it's really a core identity for who we are a life-giving church. We want to give life to you. We want you to leave this experience feeling built up. That God has deposited life inside of you. It's why we're here. But I also want to just make a, a statement that I feel like every once in a while I need to say this just to remind myself of it, but we all need to be reminded. We're not here to impress you or entertain you either. See, the thing is, is we can get in this mindset, well, you know, show me how good you can be. I'm not, I'm not here for that. We're simply here in this space because we're hungry for God. And we desire Him to do something in our lives. And to be quite honest with you, I'm humbled about what God has done in 11 years, but I'm excited about what He's going to continue to build in this community of believers that we call a local church. See, this book of Nehemiah, we're looking at a man who was called to come back to his hometown and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now, let's think about what an incredible feat that would have been literally thousands of years ago, reflecting on some like modern marvels of building. Y'all know the Empire State Building, right? It's a gigantic building right in the middle of Manhattan. And, and it's still a place where many people visiting New York City, they'll go, they go to the top of Empire State Building, take some pictures. It was built in one year in 45 days. It's remarkable. 
As, at one point in the middle of its construction, it was elevating by over four stories a week. That's how fast they built it. It's a modern marvel of construction. But keeping that in mind, Let's go back to the story of Nehemiah. Would you stand as we go to the text, beginning in Nehemiah chapter 6. The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled into their towns, and all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen and amen, and then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go enjoy choice food and sweet drink and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this moment. As we spend just these next few seconds reflecting on this story, would you encourage our hearts, provoke us in faith, and call us into obedience. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Touch somebody while you're taking a seat and say, build it now. All right. Y'all look at me. Now, now I want you to say something. I'm going to say a word, and then I want you to say it back to me. All right. Amen. Now your turn. All right, we're going to do it one more time. All right. Here we go. Amen. Now y'all. Some of y'all are like, man, I've been waiting for that moment. <laughs> Do y'all know what amen means? Amen means let it be. So sometimes somebody will say something in a message and it might encourage you and you, you want things to be that way in your family and you'll go amen. Or you want things to be that way in this world, amen. That's what amen means, let it be that way. 
And here's what I want to encourage you today. Listen, this moment in, in this story of Nehemiah, the people are literally standing as the Bible is being written. Some of y'all wonder why we do that. Well, there you go. They're raising their hands. Some of y'all wonder, well, why, why do we raise our hands and worship? There you go. And they're saying amen. Let it be that way. The way God designed it, let it be that way. This all happens under the leadership of Nehemiah. I've told you before. I mean, he's an incredible leader. If you're a leader, this is a book in the Bible to study. Incredible vision and leadership. He's also a bad man. I mean, I'm just telling you, you don't want to mess with Nehemiah. He's, he's somebody who's going to protect his people, and he does. He protects the people of God, finishes the job, and after the work is getting completed, and we, we just read through the, the passages that show us about that, I want to make some observations from this text, okay? If you're taking notes, these are in your notes, number one. God can do a lot with a little when we're completely surrendered to Him. God can do a lot with a little when we're completely surrendered to Him. Some of us have said, but I only got a little time. I only have a little attention. I only have a little energy. I only have a little money. See, God can do a lot with a little when that little is completely surrendered to him. 52 days. If you remember the story, the king, Artaxerxes, looked at Nehemiah and said, how long is this going to take you? How long will you be gone? I mean, he was in service to the king. And the scripture doesn't record his answer, but it does let us know how long it took. 52 days. 52 days to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I mean, a singular focus. Every person rallied. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be easy. You're not going to take showers. You're not going to undress. You're going to get stinky. Some of y'all are like, I'd love to go a month without taking a shower. Some of y'all are like, that sounds horrible. Gross. But it's not going to last forever. Just a small period of time. And in that small period of time, something amazing happened. You see, around the same time, right after the walls were rebuilt, God spoke through the prophet Zechariah. We see this in the Old Testament. The temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. The walls were destroyed. Now the walls are rebuilt. And God speaks through Zechariah about rebuilding the temple. And they again, they only have a little. The temple before built by Solomon was giant. It was gorgeous. It was wonderful. But God says through Zechariah in chapter 4, verse 10, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. There are some of us who are a little bit further along in our journey and we can look back and remember the small beginning that happened years ago where I started from, the little bit that I had when I didn't have much and I'm not there anymore, but I can remember and rejoice over what God did. Some of y'all are in a place right now where you only have a little 
and you're making excuses. I'm not going to do it because I don't have everything I feel like I need. I only have a little time, right? If you've only got a little time and you're not spending time with God, take that little and spend some time with God. Give the little bit of time you have to God. You need to work on your marriage, but you've overbooked yourself. You're going through a time when your family's stretched. Take the time that you can find. Take the margin. It might only be a little margin, but start working on your marriage. You might be saying, well, I don't have a lot of money to give. I'm in debt. I'm not taking good care. I'm trying to turn things around and live by a budget. Give what you've got. Use your little. You might only have a little, but God can do a lot with it if you've surrendered it to him. Nehemiah shows up. They don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of uh, acclaim around the, the communities. They have a, they're depressed. They're kind of rejected. They feel broken down. And he rallies them. And in just 52 days, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Do not use your perceived lack as an excuse to not obey God. So many times we'll say, well, I'll start it when I have everything. No, go ahead and start. Because God can do a lot with a little when it's surrendered to him. Number two, you see this from Nehemiah as they finish the work. God uses the work to accomplish something good in us. He uses the work. Think about where they were, the the walls broken down, the community in ruins, a disgrace among other communities around them. Then 52 days of hard work. I was thinking about this and wanted to just kind of wrestle with this question. Why doesn't God just, just zap things and make it happen? He could, right? He could supernaturally rebuild the walls. He just wake up one morning, they're all rebuilt. Why doesn't God do that? I'm starting to believe this wholeheartedly, that the process is the point. So many of us want what's on the other side of the process, the product. We start working out because we want to get fit and thin. But it's the process towards getting fit and thin that really matters. The process is the point. And I've come to understand that you can't cheat the process. If there's something that God designed to be a process, you can't cheat it. Okay, you can try to with your health. And there's a bunch of people who go on all these crash diets and take these pills and these supplements and they lose a little bit of weight and then they stop doing these other things and they they do what? They gain it all back. Some of us have been there. You can't cheat the process. It's true emotionally. Grief has a process to it. You lose a parent. You lose a child. You're going to go through a process of grieving them. And and to the point that even clinicians and psychologists say now that if you lost a parent as a child, 
You might have not been allowed to grieve, but you still at some point will have to go through the process of grief because it's a process and you can't cheat it. You can only delay it. You can only avoid it. You cannot cheat the process. And this is true spiritually. For us to grow spiritually, it's a process. God is at work within you. Growing you. I was reading in Philippians, and I noticed this verse. I want you to pay attention to it. Look at this. Philippians 2, verse 13. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Notice the tense of the verb. He is working in you. Present, right now. It's not that He worked in you. Y'all listen, some of us might be tempted to try to hang on to something God did in our life years and years ago. Stop trying to live on past victories. God is working right now in your life. It's a present thing. It's not just a future thing. It's a right now. And in the middle of that process, if we're willing to stay devoted to the process, there are good gifts accessible to us in the process. God will do some good things in you as you walk through the process. There is a point to the work. And then the other thing that I noticed from Nehemiah, this may be the biggest point from the whole book, and this is number three. If it starts with God, it needs to end with Him too. If it starts with God, it needs to end with Him too. There are a lot of us who have been on our face, on our knees, praying for God to do something in our lives, and then God shows up and does it, and all of a sudden, we start taking the credit, we start walking away from God, we take the blessing and run when it was really God that started it, and you were the one pleading, God, give me a job. I've lost my job. God, I'm lonely. Would you send me a friend? All of those things, and all of a sudden, God delivers the blessing, and though it started with God, it certainly doesn't end with God. For Nehemiah, it started with God. You remember chapter 2, he gets before King Artaxerxes and your heart's broken. What's going on? He's like, well, you know, my city's in ruin. And then the king blesses him and sends him to do the work. And you might think that he could have taken credit for it. It's because I've served the king. I've been faithful to him. I've done a good job. I've put character on display. He doesn't do any of that. What he says is because of God's gracious hand on me. It was God that started it. So when it gets to the end, it's pretty natural for it to be God. And for Nehemiah, it wasn't just him. It was a whole city that was affected. Notice what happens as he finishes the work. After the wall is rebuilt, the first thing they do after they set the gates is appoint the musicians, gatekeepers, and Levites. They reinstate worship. They bring worship back into Jerusalem. God, you're going to be honored here. And now, there's something to be, to be learned here, okay? 
Y'all listen to me. They rebuilt the walls, and then they started the worship, which meant that they had to get safe first. There's some of y'all that went through some pretty traumatic things as kids, and you keep trying to grow spiritually, but that trauma keeps finding its way into everyday life. You're going to have to deal with that before you can get into that mode, right? It's important. They, get, they build the walls. Then they reinstate worship. And then, this is remarkable. They bring Ezra in. Ezra comes before the assembly and he reads the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. People stand as he reads the Bible. All day long, they stand in the reading of the Word of God. They're raising their hands. They're shouting amen. And then they begin to cry in conviction. Now for us, many of us grew up in church or around church and we've heard things about the Bible, the Ten Commandments, but these people were exiles. They were stolen into slavery and shipped off thousands of miles away. Totally to reject the faith of their forefathers. Now they've returned out of exile back to Jerusalem. And for the first time for many of them, they're hearing, this is what God wants. And I've been breaking His commands. And they're weeping in conviction and repentance. And Nehemiah says something that is astounding in chapter 8. Many of us have quoted this, but didn't know the context for it. Look at what he says. After they're, they're weeping, he says, no, go. And enjoy choose." choice foods and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. For Nehemiah, if you read through the book, you'll see he had a big heart to make sure that those who were less fortunate were taken care of. All right, Make sure you give some of it away. For this day is holy to our God. It's set apart. This is about God today. Do not grieve for the joy of your Lord. The joy of our Lord is our strength. Now, I want to speak to this moment. They're weeping. They're crying. They're hysterical. Broken about what has happened. Hearing the commands and decrees of God. Haven't ever heard them. The walls have just been built. And they're crying under conviction. Can I just say this so you can understand life maybe from a different perspective, there's always going to be regrets. Even with the best intentions and the most effort. And if we're just honest, as we grow older, I can remember bringing my daughter home the very first night and realizing that a season of my life was over. And I sat in my office at home when she was just brand new to our house and I wept because there were things in that season that I regretted. The Bible says that the law was given to prove the sinfulness of men and they had just sat under Ezra as he read the law. But Nehemiah says, no, don't grieve. This day's not a... This day is about the Lord. Take a step back. Look at all He's done around us. There's joy in this moment. 
There's joy in this moment. See, when we've surrendered it to God, there's a joy that's focused on Him and what He's accomplishing in our lives. See, sometimes we don't have joy because the focus is on us. Sometimes we're living with shame and regret. and You realize if you've surrendered it and confessed it and repented it, God's forgiven you. And now I, I don't have to live with that regret. I can actually just enjoy where I am right now. Why? Because I'm focused on God. I'm not focused on me. And, and Nehemiah's like, no, no, I get it. But let's focus on the Lord and what He's done. There's joy in that. And that's way different than happiness. It's way different. Some of y'all are living your life to be happy. And I need you to hear me. Happiness is a moving target. What makes you happy right now won't make you happy tomorrow. And it's not that I don't want you to be happy, but it makes an awfully bad goal for life. Joy is so different. It's a byproduct of our relationship with God. Galatians 5 lists out what we call the fruit of the Spirit. You know, fruit grows off of a tree. It's planted. It's healthy. It grows. And then it naturally produces its fruit. And the Bible says that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, these are the fruit that grow out of somebody who has decided, I'm, I'm going to love and follow God, and I'm going to surrender my life to Him, and out of that grows a joy. It's focused on Him. It's focused on Him. So when Nehemiah says, listen, the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is a man who had been strong, who had done the impossible, and that's what he did. I mean, it's nearly impossible today with all the construction equipment that we have to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. And they did it with none of that. Having divided his workforce in half so that one half was on guard while one half worked, it was impossible. And that, from a leadership perspective, is a mighty win. And I think the thing about Nehemiah is Nehemiah shows us how to win. Some of y'all are you're praying for a, a win in your marriage or in your career. Maybe it's in your personal life or in your finances. Nehemiah shows us how to win. I mean, I love youth sports. If y'all don't know, I used to coach football and my daughter's cheering, so I went watch middle school football, which is really hard to watch. I mean, it is. There's a lot, of, a lot of mistakes, a lot of fumbles, turnovers, penalties, all that kinds of stuff. And, and I watched, I went this past Wednesday, the first game I could go to, and, and uh, team won, which is awesome, right? A lot of times they, they've been losing. I think it's the first time they've won in three years. All right, that's a rough season, right? And good thing about youth sports is it teaches us how to lose, I thought we were going to get to do that with my, my son this past year. We signed him up to play soccer, and his team went on and won every daggum game. I mean, it's just like, what in the world, you know? And then he played junior PGA League and got his butt handed to him all summer. I mean, just every single – and watching, watching middle school football is rough. Watching kids play golf is even rougher, okay? <laughs> just so you know, it's rough. We need to learn how to lose, but we also need to learn how to win. That's true for you in life. Some of y'all are trying to avoid losses. and Some of us don't know how to win. Nehemiah 
shows us how to win. I'm going to give you three things that we see out of Nehemiah's life that direct us towards how to win. And number one is you won't win if you won't work. You won't win if you won't work. The best things in life are going to require hard work. Some of us want victory, and it might be in maybe in your marriage or in your finances, but the truth is, is we don't want to do anything different. I want things to change, but I don't want to do anything different. I, I don't want to do any work towards that. I brought this verse to you a few times, Proverbs 21. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. There's two things to be seen in this verse. We make the horse ready. So in other words, there's some things in life that we're going to have to fight for. And it's my job to prepare for it, to do some of the work in preparation. After that, it's the Lord's job to deliver the victory. Can you just hear me for a second? God's not able to give you a victory if you haven't had the horse ready. Okay? And some of us, we, we want to win in our marriage, but we're not willing to do anything in our marriage that's different. We're not willing to do the work. We want to win in our emotions, right? We're, but we're not willing to go to a counselor. We want to win financially, but we're not willing to live by a budget. We want to live or win in our career. And if you're young, y'all listen to me, the only way you're going to win in your career is by having an attitude that says, I will work. I will show up and do the work. Some of us want to win spiritually. God feels distant. I want to grow in my relationship with Him. But y'all listen to me. You've got to be willing to do the work. Set aside the time. Read your Bible. Get in prayer. Get in His presence. Nehemiah showed us he was willing to do the work. When God broke Nehemiah's heart, he was willing to uproot his life, go back to Jerusalem, and spend 52 days pouring his life out for the vision that God had given him. He was willing to do the work. You won't win if you won't work. Number two, when God gives us vision, it'll be God that gets us there. When God gives us vision, and I want that, for you. I, I want you to have vision for your life. I do. I, I want you to have vision for your marriage. I want you to have vision for, for your finances. I want you to have vision for your future. Y'all just look at me for a second. I want that vision for your life to be so big that you can't do it alone. That if you were to get there one day, you would have to look back and go, I did not do this by myself. The only way I got to this moment is because God was with me. God did things for me I could have never done on my own. I would have never made it through that. I would have never gotten to the other side of that. I didn't even know how to do that. But God, but God showed up on my behalf. God showed me how to live. God showed me how to take that next step. See, for some of us, we're living small lives that don't need God. That's a small life. There's no area in your life that needs faith. And we need to live in such a way. If God has called you into following Jesus Christ, you've surrendered your life to Him, our lives should be marked by faith. And faith means, I, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. 
It doesn't even make sense, but I'll forgive that person. I'll, I'll, I'll say yes to do that. Yeah, I'll serve. I'll, I'll give. I'll, I'll be that person. Why? But I don't know why. I know God called me into it. I know it's what he wants for me. I don't know how it's all going to work out. But God. The book of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And some of us, man, we've even had that moment when God has given us a vision. We may have that sense that life is supposed to be more than this and we're scared to even step into it. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God can pour on the blessings. He can pour them on. I mean, when I am broken and lost and in need, God is more than capable of pouring on the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything, more than just ready to do what needs to be done. When God has called you to it, He will get you through it. When God gets you into it, He's going to provide everything you need for it. Do not let fear or insecurity rob you from living out a God-sized vision for your life. And if there's just one big takeaway from the book of Nehemiah about how to win, I would credit that to this number three. Give God the credit and turn the victory into praise. Give God the credit and turn the victory into praise. I've said this several times in this series. There's some of us that pray for victory in certain areas of our life and we're waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it and it hasn't came yet. We, we haven't experienced the victory in our marriage or with our kids or in our finances and the reason we're not is because God gave us a victory before and we never gave Him the credit for it. Nehemiah gives God the credit. In the very beginning, it was God's gracious hand on me. It's not because I was a good, faithful servant to the king. No, it was God's hand on me that led to his blessing. And it ends that way. It ends with a whole city in worship. A whole city that is repenting. A whole city that is surrendering to Jesus. What victory do you need to give God credit for? Have you been on your knees praying, God, I need a job. I need you to show up. I don't know which way forward. I lost my job. And it's so easy to then get that job and all of a sudden, this is my money. This is my career. God, I'm lonely. God, would you bless me with a friend? And God gives you that friend. And all of a sudden, I'm going to do whatever that friend... I'm, I'm not going to honor God. I'm just going to do whatever that friend says. God, I'm praying for a kid. God, I believe that you've called me to be a mom. You've called me to be a father. We're praying for a child. And God gives you the child. And all of a sudden, you stop worshiping God and start worshiping the child. I think sometimes the worst thing that can happen is we get what we want, we get what we've prayed for, and we take the credit for it and then walk away from God. That's not who we're going to be. We're going to keep our eyes on God. 
we're going to know that He's the source of all good things. He gets the credit. He gets the praise. When God delivers a victory into our life, we're going to turn back and say, God, thank you for it. Praise you for it. It's because of you. It's not because of how good or how hard we worked. It's, it's all because of you, God. You get the praise. So by manner of review, I want to say this as a church. We are going to do the work. From the very beginning of our church, one of the calling cards of our identity has been that we serve strong. Almost 150 people serving our community last weekend. An unusually high number, percentage of people within our church that serve to make the ministry of Vortex Church happen. We're going to do the work. And that's why we announced last week that later this fall in November, we're going to go to two campuses. Last week, our church, just regular attendance, we were over 450 here. Okay? We, we can't serve that many people here. It was so tight. It, it's just one of those things that we know we need to do something to make room. That's why we're going to two campuses. From the very beginning, God's vision for our church is that we invite people who are far away from God to make Jesus the center of their lives. And then we invest in their journey to get closer and closer and closer to Him. Going to two campuses is just a tool for that vision. Y'all listen to me. The vision hasn't changed. This is just a tool to accomplish that vision. A new building, a new sound system, new speakers. All of that's just a tool used to accomplish the same mission, the same vision. So we're going to try that. It starts in November. Let me go over some specifics with you just so you'll know. Okay, so we'll be here at our east campus. We'll be downtown at our downtown campus. The times here will shift, okay? They will go to 9.15 and 10.45 here at Eastgate. And then 10 a.m. at our downtown campus, all right? So we will have three experiences. All three will be preached live. Same speaker will speak in every single service. Worship will be live. Kids ministry. Please listen. We're not asking you to choose a different type of experience. We're not doing that. We're actually just, we're creating room and space. And I believe over the next three to four months, what we're going to see is God's going to grow us. Because there are people who need what we have. You might even sense today that God's calling you to join the team, to be a part of this. I mean, we need people to serve. We do. We're not out here begging for people. Because you want to know why? Because we don't, we don't do that from up here. We believe that God will provoke people to do it. God always has. He always will. And the reason we're not begging is because we know there's something better on the other side when you choose to do it for yourself. If you're here today and you know, hey, I feel like God's leading me to do that. Make plans to be in next steps in October. Okay? Make plans. It gives us an opportunity to share who we are, help you learn a little bit about yourself, and then really position you to make a difference in that next season. And the truth is, is that as a church, I want us to win. I do. I want us to win. And winning as a church means that there are people who are far away from God who are brought close to Him.
People who are broken, who are now being healed. People who are lost, who are found. Families who are restored. Marriages that are healed. Kids that are growing in the faith. Not only do I want us to win, I want you to win. I want you to win in your career and in your marriage and in your finances, in your, your mental health, in your heart, in your physical health. And I want you to, to win spiritually. So maybe today as we kind of wrap this up together, maybe there's something in your life that needs to be surrendered to God. You came in knowing that, God, I, I need a victory in my marriage. I need to surrender my marriage. Maybe you've been struggling with grief and you need to surrender your emotions, your heart to God. Maybe today it's finances or it might even be your life. Maybe you came in today. You've been doing life your own way. You've been rebelling against God. And today you know, I need to surrender this to God. And I need to trust that he's going to give me victory. And I'm going to make a commitment today, God. If you give me victory, I'm going to turn that victory into praise. I won't take credit for it. I won't say it was because of anything I've done. God, I'm going to give you. I'm just going to make that commitment today. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.